0: What's up, everyone? This is Buck Green of MCS Magazine, sitting in for Jeff Anderson this week for the MCS Podcast. Welcome to MCS Podcast number 264. None of us enjoys air travel, and I should know, I just got done flying from the East Coast to Texas and back. But the good news is you do have some options for tactical air travel. Before I go any farther, make sure to download this week's free show notes, our cheat sheet, available at www.mcsmagazine.com 264. Everything's right there and free to download. All you have to do is click on over there and get it. Uh, now, let's talk tactical air travel
1: firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival.
0: Alright, welcome everybody to MCS number 264. Uh, I am Buck Green, I work for MCS Magazine. You may have seen me post on our Facebook page and various other MCS pursuits, and I have done the podcast before. I'm sitting in for Jeff this week because I just recently flew to MCS Magazine headquarters. I had to travel from the East Coast all the way to Texas and back, which for many of you does not sound like a lot, but for me, since I don't do a lot of air travel, was a big deal. Uh, I traveled on a total of four airplanes because I had to switch over once out and once back, And I was never more aware when I got into the airport of just how unarmed I was, or rather, how unarmed I could potentially be. Air travel is all about controlling you. They tell you where to go. They tell you where you can stand. They tell you where you're going to wait. They tell you how long the wait's going to be. And depending on how you fly, they even tell you what your seat is going to be. You don't necessarily get a choice. I flew economy, so I was given my seat assignments when I got there. Um, You can tell them, hey, I would like an aisle, or hey, I would like a window, and then they will look at you and go, well, you're not sitting there, you're sitting here, where we tell you to. (laughs) That's air travel in a nutshell, and if you think about it in terms of the logistics of air travel, it makes a certain amount of sense. Obviously, the airline's business is shuttling people from point A to point B as efficiently as possible, at least in theory. Little things like comfort, dignity... (laughs) Those things go by the wayside. I hit my head on that overhead bin every single plane I flew in. I watched several other people do it. And it's sort of a good metaphor for air travel. Welcome aboard! Take off your shoes. Take off your belt. We're going to now scan you and look inside your clothing. Oh, and we just might fill you up for good measure. Welcome to air travel. I I don't enjoy it because, you know, I'm a private person. As a tactically minded person, I don't like being searched. I don't like being disarmed. And generally, I just don't like people telling me what to do. And traveling by air is all about people telling you what to do. You have very little control. And by the time I got off that fourth plane, when I was finally back home, I could not wait to get out of that airport and back into some semblance of control over my life. My girlfriend picked me up at the airport and I saw her through the glass of the terminal and I'm like, Oh, she's right there. And then I saw a cop walk up to her and tell her she couldn't wait there. She had to keep going. So I'm, I'm literally within 50 feet of where she is, but I have to circle my way around to the door to get to the car. So by that time the cop had already told her to move along and she had to circle back around again. And it was just such a reminder of how little control over your own life you have while you're in the grip of the TSA and the people who run the airport. And, you know, I get it. I remember September 11th. I remember when the planes hit the towers. Um, I know exactly where I was and what I was doing that morning. And it left an indelible impression on me. But the fact is that, you know, all it took was one shoe bomber who didn't manage to blow anything up, and now we all have to take our shoes off at the airport. I have to practically get undressed while I'm standing in line there. I got to take my belt off. I got to take all the stuff out of my pockets. I got to take my shoes off. I got to let them X-ray everything. I got to get into the little machine and put my arms up and let them scan me. And you know, God knows what they're seeing because apparently they see you naked. And I know the machines are supposed to screen stuff, but you know, who, who raise your hand if you actually believe that? Anyway, you know, I I figure they get what they deserve if they're staring at me with my clothes off, but. The point is all of this is a a process whereby you are reduced to cargo with no human rights really and as much as they talk about um you know the the passengers bill of rights the fact is You only have those rights that you assert for yourself. And I can remember years ago when I made this same plane trip, I got stuck on the tarmac in O'Hare while we were waiting for another plane to get moved out of the gate so that we could park and get off the plane. Well, we sat there for more than an hour, and, and I knew what it felt like to be, like, I was like, I understand why air rage is a thing now, because it's bad enough to sit there for the duration of your flight. But then to sit there for another hour watching the time for your connecting flight dwindle And knowing that you might miss it and for no other reason than that you're stuck on this plane and other people are in control of your life it's a hard pill to swallow so what is the tactically minded person to do the first thing you need to understand the fundamental rule of all non-permissive environments or NPEs which it's become very fashionable to refer to high security areas by that term anytime you go into a federal building anytime you go into a courthouse Any place where there are metal detectors and security, you are entering a non-permissive environment. There was a time when uh, the local baseball stadium in the city where I lived at the time did not have security. You went in, you paid your money, you got stamped, you could re-enter, you could leave, go out to your car, come back. Well, sometime, uh, there was a, a few years where I didn't go to baseball games, and then when I started going again, imagine my shock when there were guys there with metal detector wands checking every single bag and every single person that went into that baseball park. So I had to go back to my car and offload a bunch of stuff that I knew they would not let me into the baseball park with. They saw me do it, too, and they thanked me for not you know, giving them any static, which, you know, yes, master, whatever you say, master. Uh, you know, I, I hate having to be subservient to people, but... You know, you do what you got, to and, you know, the the trade-off is, okay, you don't go to baseball if you can't make that trade. Well, there was a time when a citizen inclined to use a non-metallic knife so he could still be armed while in a situation like that could do so. Uh, In that particular state, the governor just made non-detectable knives illegal. So now those are a misdemeanor and not worth the risk, in my opinion. So you're back to being unarmed, and it's the same situation as being on the airplane. It's exactly the same. What do you carry when you're not allowed to carry anything? Here's the thing. The fundamental rule of the non-permissive environment, as I started to say, is that you don't carry anything that you aren't prepared to throw away or have taken from you. No matter what you think the rules are, no matter what you think is allowed, you could hit a situation where the person standing in front of you is enforcing a different version of the rules than you think is appropriate. And your, your choice is to either do what they say or walk away. So, you know, if you're prepared to not get on a plane or not enter that baseball uh, uh, park or not go into the federal building, well, then I guess you're free to insist on your version of the rules. But the people in charge get to set the rules, even if they're unfair and even if they're enforced uh, inconsistently. So your only choice is to do as, as they command. So no matter what you carry, even if most of the time you can get away with it and it will get through security, understand that anything you walk into an airport with could be taken from you. I know there are people who say, well, you should carry a self-addressed stomp, st- stomped, self-addressed stamped envelope. The stomping is done by the people who deliver the envelope. Um, UPS stands for Unrepentant Package Smashers, and the United States Postal Service uh, sort of takes their cues from, from that ethic. But... I've been told, you know, well, carry a, 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 like a padded envelope with the postage already on it so that if your, whatever it is, your knife or, or anything like that, your tactical pen gets confiscated from you, you can mail it back to yourself. Well, that's fine in theory, but when you're standing in the security line facing down the security guard who's going to take that thing from you, where is it you think you're going to do this mailing? Is there a mailbox nearby? what do you think you're going to do exactly? I've never once been in a situation where I thought that was actually a viable option. So you need to understand that whatever you walk into an airport with could be taken from you and you'll never see it again. So my philosophy is I take everything out of my pockets. I take everything out of my wallet because I carry a bunch of stuff in my wallet that would probably not get past security. You know, like one of those neat little credit card size folding knives, you're not going to be able to take that through security. Then I refill my pockets, my sort of uh on-body EDC complement with only the bare minimums. I take only what I absolutely have to have. So my wallet is one thing uh, that I absolutely have to have with me at all times. I'm going to talk now about the accessories that I think you should make sure you have with you whenever you enter a non-permissive environment. Most of the time that's going to be air travel but this would apply to any other place where they've got metal detectors and they're uptight about things like knives. So, what's the first item? The first item is going to be a heavy metal pen. And I know you're rolling your eyes right now. And you're like, yes, yes, everyone talks about a tactical pen. I'm not talking about a tactical pen. Actually, you don't want a tactical pen. You want an ordinary metal pen. Uh, And that's because a lot of tactical pens, even though they're great weapons, um, they're designed to be weapons and they look aggressive. So you're at the mercy of what that TSA screener or that security guard thinks is appropriate. And if he looks down at your pen and he sees weapon because it's all fluted and knurled and pointed and stuff, he might take it away from you. Now, this is a good argument for not carrying your... I've seen some tactical pens that are truly dizzying in terms of cost. $80, $100, $120. I would never pay that kind of money for a tactical pen because the whole point of a tactical pen is that you carry it where you can't carry other weapons and you're always running the risk of it being confiscated as a weapon. What's a good compromise? A nice solid metal pen that is just off the shelf. It's just a writing pen. Uh, the Zebra F701 is a good choice. They've recently started making those out of all stainless steel. I know there were there were some Zebras back in the day that were partly metal, and you could take a couple of different Zebra models apart and make a Franken-pen that was all metal, and, and people put up tutorials of doing that. You don't have to do that now. You can just buy a Zebra F701. It's all metal, and it's great. Now, the, the next thing you might be thinking is, but, but Buck, I've seen videos of people online who stabbed a Zebra F701 into a side of pork or something and the pen broke. And to that, I would say, yes, it's a pen. It's not meant to be a weapon. It's, it's really more of a coupon, you know, a pocket stick than it is a stabbing implement in that it's a, it's a poking implement. You're using it to poke the other guy really, really hard. Whenever you poke somebody in the face or, or somewhere else on the body really really hard, I know, I know, keep the dirty jokes to yourself, there is the possibility of breaking the implement. That's a that's simply, you know, it's based on how much force you use when you jab that implement into the other guy. So if you break your metal pen off in the other guy's face, well, yes, you've just broken your pen. I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. Uh, this is a weapon of last resort. so. When you're poking with your with your pen, remember to treat it more like a, a means of amplifying the pressure of your blow than as a stabbing implement. It's not really a knife. You can't expect it to perform like a knife. And then you pick only the softest targets on the human body. So those are primarily the eyes, the hollow of the throat, even the face and the cheeks. Now, stabbing someone in the cheek with a pen is not like a fight ender. It's, it's not a neutralizing move. There's nothing vital about the cheeks, but if I end up with a metal pen thrust into my mouth, through my cheek, I'm going to be very, very upset. And it's probably going to be enough to get me to change whatever I'm doing, where what I'm doing is presumably attacking you. So those are the targets that you can most reliably hit with the pen without causing the pen to break so badly that you can't use it for, for jabbing anymore. I almost said st- stabbing, but it's not really stabbing. Um, you're just, you're, you're poking and jabbing into the eyes, into the hollow, hollow of the throat and into the cheeks in an attempt to use enough force to give you more reactionary gap to do other things. You're, you're altering his plan by making what he's trying to do exceptionally painful and damaging to him. And that's the whole point of, of carrying a metal pen like that. There's an argument that says that carrying uh, any tactical pen or a metal pen that's not a quote-unquote tactical model, it's like carrying a talisman. It's like carrying a... An object symbolic of a weapon that isn't really a very good weapon but is intended to make you feel better. I think you could look at it very cynically that way, but I don't think that's how it is. I think this is a genuinely useful tool. And the good thing is an ordinary metal writing pen is going to go right through security. Uh, The TSA did not give my Zebra F-701 a second glance when I flew with it on all the times I went through the airport and all the four flights that I took. All right. Item number two after your metal pen that you should be carrying with you is a flashlight. Um, Every list of EDC items generally includes a flashlight. I favor these cheap ones that I get off Amazon that are knurled aluminum models that have, it has kind of a crenellated bezel on it, but it's not super aggressive. It's not like, you know, shark's teeth which might not get through security if it was super, super sharp and pointy. Um, Again, that flashlight was in the bin when they looked at my personal accessories. They didn't give it a second glance, no one even asked me about it. But the one that I carry, you know, it's just over the length of my palm. So you generally want some of it sticking out of your hand when you hold it in your fist so you can use it as a striking implement. Um, But the other thing about any tactical flashlight, and flashlights are also cheap and so bright now that for a few dollars you get a really great light. Compared to, you know, back in the day, the mini mag light was the EDC carry light that was kind of like, uh, you know, back in the in the early '80s, you could carry your Buck 110 folding knife and your mini mag light flashlight, and uh, you know, you felt super super equipped. And both of those yeah, very outdated, and the mini mag light itself was an exceptionally poor flashlight. It was really not that bright especially for the size. Now, thanks to modern LEDs, uh, for a few dollars, you can get a great aluminum-bodied flashlight. Um, It it might have multiple modes. I would recommend you getting one that doesn't have multiple modes so that it's not blinking and strobing when you don't want it to be, but it's not a huge problem if you do get one that has multiple modes. I have one that you can extend the front of the flashlight to focus the beam more. It's not really a necessary feature. You're never going to do that for anything other than utility purposes. Uh, My flashlight sees most of its use as a a Utility item for safety. I've used it when walking in unfamiliar cities at night I've used it to alert cars to my my presence. I remember when I went to Boston uh, and I was worried about security at all the tourist places that I was going to be going into in Boston I carried a tactical flashlight and when I was walking at night because there was a lot of walking involved We didn't have a car while we were in Boston. We took the trains and everything Uh, Whenever I was crossing the street and there's all the traffic and boy Boston traffic is legendary I would just blink the light on so people could see me. Uh, So it's a really good safety item I've used it to make sure that I've got all my stuff up off the floor when I'm checking out of hotel rooms It's just really useful when I was in Texas out in the middle of the vast wilderness that is is Texas (laughs) And you know if you live in Texas, I'm not putting it down. It's beautiful country but I'm a northerner and it was a hundred degrees every day that I was there which was bad enough but then I was talking to uh, uh, Jeff Anderson of MCS Magazine and he stopped and pointed and there was a tarantula just cruising around. And as a northerner, we're not used to that. We're not used to just having tarantulas be there. And if you'd ask me intellectually, do they have tarantulas there? Yes, of course. And I know they're not dangerous, but it was still unsettling <laughs> to, for me to know that they were just roaming around out there. So a flashlight is a great companion when you're operating around at night. And you know, I wasn't operating, operating. I just mean going from building to building at night. You know, and you wanna make sure things like, no spiders the size of my hand happen to be nearby. (laughs) Things like that. Um, You should choose a metal flashlight, not a plastic one. I know there's lots of little plastic ones out there. Um, if you need to pay a little bit more to get a quality model, please do so. Uh, it's only going to serve you well. You're probably not going to use this for striking a bad guy. You, you can if you need to, and that's the whole point of carrying it. But mostly you're going to use it as a flashlight. So pick it for that reason. Pick something that will serve you well as a utility light. Um, and understand that with the, the less inexpensive LED lights, you will reach a point where the light stops operating reliably. Uh, sometimes you just need to take it apart, you know, take the, take the cap off, take the batteries out, clean everything in there, you know, wipe it with a clean, dry cloth. Don't try anything else, um, no cleaning fluids, nothing like that. Because sometimes the, the dust from your pocket where you're carrying your flashlight can get in there and cause problems. So if your light starts operating unreliably, that could be why. Uh, but I have found every inexpensive LED flashlight I ever owned reached a point where it stopped being reliable, even with new batteries, even after cleaning it. Uh, So you just replace it when you get to that point. And I have discarded, I don't know, half a dozen flashlights at this point just because they stopped working reliably and not for any other reason. Uh, I think it's just a limitation of the technology. And the less expensive you go, the more likely you're going to hit that problem. All right, that's the first two items on our list of uh, non-permissive environment tactical air travel accessories that you should have with you. Uh, Coming up, we're going to talk about three more items that you definitely have to have, including one item that is the most useful all-around survival accessory you can carry, and yet another item that you might not have considered, especially in today's uh, world of modern conveniences in the airport. Uh, All that is coming up, but first, please stand by for these special messages.
1: Imagine staring up at a six foot nine, 350 pound biker dude, rage in his eyes, ready to cram a beer bottle down your throat as payback for bumping into him. Would you know exactly what to do? Without cowering in fear. Without begging for mercy. Without getting stomped to the floor and beaten while your family watches in horror. You will now with this simple three-step plan. One, don't take your family to biker bars. That's really kind of stupid, isn't it? Two, harden your mind with bulletproof warrior confidence. And three, master your own secret bag of shockingly powerful fight tricks. Waiting for you and your free DVD, you can claim now at DefeatLargerAttackers.com. In a real fight, you don't have the option of losing. Not when your life, or the safety of your family hiding behind you, is on the line. You need to know exactly what to do in those first few seconds of an attack, and end it quickly, and walk away with your life, your loved ones, and your pride intact. In this free DVD, you'll discover the street fighting secrets for how to knock a bigger, stronger man head first into the pavement with brutal, unstoppable power and speed regardless of your size, strength, or even if you've never been in a fight before in your life. Claim your free DVD now while this offer is still available at www.DefeatLargerAttackers.com and unleash your true potential to kick ass. And now, back to the show.
0: All right, we're back. This is Buck Green for MCS Magazine. We talked about uh, carrying a heavy metal pen, not a tactical pen when you travel by air. And we talked about carrying a flashlight, for mostly for safety and utility purposes, but also for the fact that a metal flashlight can be used as a striking implement, as a fist load. Uh, you can strike with the flashlight from the end, or you can use it to harden your fist, although you are uh, raising the chances that you'll break your knuckles if you load up your fist like that. That was items one and two. The third thing, no, I should point out again, both of those items got through security and the TSA screening without a single problem. Nobody even mentioned them to me. I I was prepared that I might have to give up either my flashlight or my pen, Uh, nobody said anything. And because my pen was not a tactical model, they had no reason to deny me a writing implement. The third thing I was carrying takes up almost no space and no weight. I have it with me every day and I'm carrying it with me right now and that's a simple folded bandana. I actually have an entire drawer of nothing but bandanas because I was collecting them for a while. Different patterns, different pictures, stuff like that. But the bandana is the single most useful piece of everyday carry equipment you can have on your person. Um, any piece of cloth like that, that's why those, um, I've never been quite sure how to pronounce this, a shemagh? Is that how you pronounce it? Um, you know, those, those operator head wrap things. It's the same idea. A big piece of cloth is super useful. A bandana is a piece of cloth that folds up small enough that it can slip into the back pocket of your pants. You'll never even know it's there. Uh, it can be everything from a head wrap, uh, to keep the sun off your head. And I'm bald, so I have to make sure I don't get sunburned. Um, You can use it as improvised sunglasses by screening your eyes with it. You can wet it down and make it a breathing filter. It can be used to carry items. It can be a bandage. More importantly, though, the bandana can be loaded with weight. So there was a time back when people went on trips with separate cameras. I know I'm dating myself here. We used to ride our dinosaurs to the place where we were going. And then when we got there, we would take out our digital cameras. (laughs) And there was a time when digital cameras ran on conventional batteries. So not only would I carry flashcards to put in the digital camera, but I would carry batteries for it. And having a package of batteries with you means that you can put those batteries into a bandana, tie the bandana off, and what do you have? You have a makeshift blackjack or sap, and it's a very, it's a very powerful weapon. It really is. It's hard. Um, you can take the bandana, fill it with anything—rocks from a you know a gravel parking lot or anything that has weight in it. Um, you know, any object you can pick up and put in it that gives it some heft, and you have a weapon. Um, you could also use it to wrap your knuckles and with or without extra weight to make your fist hit harder. Although that's a little bit of preparation that I can't imagine anybody going through. I could see using the bandana, weighting it down, and then having it where, wherever you ended up at your destination so you had a weapon at night. Understanding, though, that you get caught using that, you might get in trouble. Uh, there's another option, too, though, and this is something I know that Jeff does specifically. He carries a very large padlock in his gear. Um, if, you, if you get a padlock and you get one with an extra long shackle uh, so that it projects from your hand, the lock can be the sort of the standoff in your palm. And then the shackle becomes like a single brass knuckle. So if you pick one that's big enough that it fits into your hand that way and projects past your, your knuckles, you have essentially uh, an improvised brass knuckle. And there's nothing illegal about taking a padlock on a plane with you. Um, they might think it odd that you have a padlock and nothing else, but you know it's a common security item. So there's no, no, nothing that says you couldn't toss that in there. And you could also use the bandana and the padlock together. You tie the bandana off on the shackle of the padlock, and you again have a handy-dandy blackjack or sap. It hits hard. It's it's like hitting with a with a chain on the end of a uh, with a weight on the end of a chain. Same thing. Um, I know that there are people who improvise uh, sort of that. Ninja weighted chain with a couple of padlocks and an ordinary length of chain. Well, it's the same thing, uh, and it hits the same way. All right, uh, we talked about the pen. We talked about the flashlight. We talked about the bandana. All of these things, you may be noticing a trend here, and that is that They're not just useful as improvised weapons. They're also useful for utility purposes. Having a writing implement with you, especially when you're traveling, is immensely valuable. Having a flashlight, no matter where you are, can be of great value in any sort of low light situation. Having a bandana, always useful because it's such a great overall survival implement, a a great utility tool that can also be pressed into service for defense. The last two items I'm going to talk about, though, are a uh, little more purpose-oriented, very a little more specific. And this is something that I carried with me on my recent air trip, along with all the other accessories I just talked about. And that's a power source. You want one of those portable batteries. I have an Anchor A N K E R battery that I carry. Before that, I had I had a Pokemon battery pack that looked like a looked like a Pikachu. And if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. That little yellow goblin. Bunny thing that is the sort of the mascot of the Pokemon. Um, I bought it on clearance at a Walmart because they were selling them for five bucks, and, and it actually was a great battery pack. I upgraded to the Anchor because it had more, uh, it could hold more power, and it dispenses the power more quickly. Um, the amp rating on on the battery is what's going to determine that. So look for a nice high number when it comes to the amps of output. Uh, But you carry the battery pack and the cable for your phone, and I carry them right in my pocket on me. Not in my carry-on, but right on my body. And that's because uh, if your phone runs dead, you are at a tremendous disadvantage. The good news is that modern day airports have recognized just how useful the modern day smartphone is. Not only is it great for entertainment purposes while well, you're waiting and waiting and waiting, which is airports are so much about waiting. Back in the day before the modern smartphone, they used to tell you when you travel, make sure you carry a paperback novel with you so that you can you know, have something to do. Well, I had a paperback novel with me, but I didn't read it. I was too busy doing stuff on my phone, checking my flight, um, taking pictures, all those things. Uh, Now, you have to put your phone in airplane mode when they get uh, ready for takeoff and stuff. And I understand. I've always thought that's kind of a a myth, kind of a superstition. Because remember when they were telling us that using your cell phone at gas pumps was going to make everything explode? I don't know of anyone that ever happened to for any reason in any case, in any situation. I I think it's literally just a myth. But at the same time, I don't want to do anything that's going to interfere with the plane. It's not a risk I need to take. So I faithfully put my phone on airplane mode the second our you know second we started to take off, and then uh, I only turned the transmit mode back on when we landed. As soon as we hit the ground and it was safe to do so, and everybody else does that too. You know, you, the wheels of the plane hit the ground, and suddenly everybody's bleeping and warping as their phones go off because they've turned the transmit mode back on. Um, what you want to make sure though is that you never run dead, because once you do you may not be able to recharge now i saw plenty of charging stations in the airport there were purpose-built stations in the waiting areas at the gates Um, i did see one dispensing unit for like pre-filled batteries that you buy the battery you use it to charge up your phone and then you exchange that battery for a different one at another station kind of like renting a u-haul only it's a battery Um, the you're limited though to do they have those power exchange stations at the airport I'm going to, as well as as the one I'm coming from. I don't like having to worry about finding my own charging station. Um, I used a couple of them while I was traveling, and there was one day where I just coincidentally never sat down next to one and didn't see any of the battery dispensing stations. So I just had to be judicious with the use of my power, and I I still got through the day. You do not want to be in a situation where you run dry, because what's the first thing you're going to do when you land? You're gonna use your phone to arrange for things like transportation, you know, the people picking you up need to talk to you. If you need to get an Uber, whatever. Um, If you wanna check if your connecting flight is going to be on time, all that stuff. Yes, there's ways to manually do it, such as the display screens at the gate, but it's way better to have your own phone to do that with. So it just makes good sense to carry your own power source with you for when you run your phone dry. That way you've extended your, your possible battery life. Most of those battery packs, will give you at least an additional charge, some will do even more. I would recommend that when you buy your battery pack, you test it out. You take your phone when it's almost dead, you plug it into the power pack, you see how long it takes you to restore your charge, you see how long it takes for the battery pack to run out, and then also if it's not capable of fully recharging your phone, you need to know that you need to upgrade to a different battery pack. It's just that simple, and and I actually, I had a battery pack that I bought that had two USB outlets on it, and I thought, oh, this one will be much better. It'll be faster, and I can charge, like, my phone and my tablet at the same time. But that unit actually turned out to be a real dud. It was not very good, so it was important that I learned that before I relied on it while I was on a trip. Finally, item number five, after a pen, a flashlight, a bandana, and a power source, is... Your phone itself, and I know you're thinking, well, duh, Buck, I'm always carrying my phone with me, and so is everyone, literally everyone else in the entire universe. But there's something you need to remember when you're getting ready to fly, and that is prep your phone ahead of time. I didn't do that. And when I was getting ready to fly out, I wanted to download uh, United's app for my phone because I knew I would be able to use it for things like connecting to the in-flight Wi-Fi and stuff like that. But for whatever reason, their download wasn't working at the time, you know, in the time I had before I got on the plane, I could not get the app to download. And as a result, I had a hard time connecting to the in-flight Wi-Fi because a lot of those, those Wi-Fi systems, like when you connect to Wi-Fi in a restaurant or a hotel, when you connect it, it says you're connected, but you don't have access until you can get it to bring up the automatic screen where you either click a button saying you agree not to be downloading porn and movies, or, you know, sometimes you have to put in your email address, sometimes you don't. Um, In the case of the airplane Wi-Fi, which is a great thing to have, you have to buy that, so you need to be able to input your payment information. And if you can't get that first screen to come up, you're out of luck. The app helps you to do that in some cases. Depends on the airline, depends on the app, depends on the Wi-Fi application. Everybody's different. Um, I'm using Android phones, for example. Those of you with iPhones, it may be a very different experience, but... The, the lesson remains the same, which is if you know you're going to be flying on a specific airline, make sure you download their app ahead of time. Prep the phone uh, so that you're not relying on trying to download those things at the last minute. Also, if you know you're going to be flying, download some movies so you have access to some entertainment in case you don't feel like reading and you just want to be able to, to watch something. Or download your music. Make sure you have what you need. Um... You can also use the phone as a way of prepping for your journey, too. Uh, while you're in flight, when you have the in-flight Wi-Fi, you can get the latest on what's the weather like there. But you can also get important security intel before you hit the ground. You know, what what is it like where I'm going? And if you've never been there, what sorts of... Uh, situations are you dealing with? Is there a, a huge crime problem in specific neighborhoods? Um, maybe it's something as simple as researching the restaurants you want to eat at when you get there. My brother is something of a gourmet. He's also an accomplished uh, chef, and he always researches the restaurants when he goes on business trips because he likes to sample new and famous places. He's been to all kinds of great places like that. Uh, And of course, finally, (laughs) I remember a comedian who once said, yeah, phones do this, that, and the other thing now, but how about a phone where I can actually just make a phone call and talk to the other guy for more than two minutes before it hangs up on me? How about a phone that just works? Well, your phone is a vital communications implement. So make sure that it's ready and that it's charged up and that it's prepped and that you have all the contact information you need for everybody you're going to need to be talking to so that you can actually stay in touch this is what i did these are the these are the things that i relied on when i flew and i consider myself a very prepared individual i hate having to disarm i hated not having my knives and i made arrangements to to have what i needed on the other end of the trip when i got there in the past i've mailed stuff to myself i found that it's just as easy to have somebody run out and pick you up some cheap options before you get there um but either way you can fly as a tactically prepared person. You can get through security and non-permissive environments and not be completely helpless. These are the accessories that I think you should make sure that you have with you. But I would also love to hear your, uh, your, you know, what do you carry? What, what are your options? What are your best tips for uh, when you travel? Uh, maybe you have some ideas I haven't heard of. I would love to hear about them. Uh, so please let us know. Also, if you'd be sure to Rate us with five stars on iTunes. It would really help us out. And whatever other platform you might be listening to us on, make sure to rate the podcast. We would love to hear from you. We love it when you comment. If you're listening to this podcast through the MCS Magazine blog, please be sure to leave a comment. I would love to hear from you. Hear what you do when you fly or when you go into a non-permissive environment. All right, this is Buck Green for MCS Magazine. Jeff Anderson will, of course, be returning soon. Until next time, make sure that you prepare, train, and survive.
1: This has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment.